0: Yeah, that's interesting with uh, the phone stuff, you know, with the conversation we were having earlier about phones. <laughs> I can't get my phone out of my hand most of the days. I wake up with it, and I go to sleep with it, mm-hmm. and it is absolutely one of those things that I just got the new iPhone. <laughs> I haven't got an upgrade in a while, yeah, and I find myself really enjoying the experience too much. Um this is uh, Scott Martindale on the show today, EXO Live. Scott Martindale is a friend of mine. He's a board member here at EXO Marriage. He is uh, one of the guys in my life that I'm very thankful for. But he's also a licensed professional counselor, supervisor, mm. owns 7 Therapy here in the Dallas area. And I'm excited to have him on the show today. We're going to be talking a lot about marriage, what's going on in the world of marriage. He has mm. a practice where he sees couples all the time, knows what's going mm. on in the, in the world right now related to couples therapy. Him and his wife Vanessa, his better half, have mm-hmm. a show uh, on blended families called Blended Kingdom Families on YouTube as well. They have social media. They have a lot of stuff going on in their world. They have four boys, you know. And I'm I'm just grateful that you're here on the show, but I'm also grateful for your friendship and the wealth of wisdom you're bringing on today. So we have a lot of people joining us on EXO Live today. Uh, they're they're joining us right now live on the chat as well. And if you're on there, tell us where you're coming from. Uh, tell us. Where you are watching from, and any questions you have, Scott charges by the hour, so you are getting free <laughs> marriage advice from a guy. it's going to be awesome. That, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So yep. that has has a has a world of wisdom, and uh, he does this all the time. So if you have questions, put them in there, and we'll start talking uh, about those here pretty soon. Somebody's mentioning the Rangers, and this is uh, this is almost Game Seven.
1: This is go time um, for baseball fans. This is and it's and it's two Texas teams, so. You know, it's a good time.
0: I hate Houston fans. They they're the worst. <laughs> Sorry, Houston Astros fans <laughs> out there that you're watching. Please don't check out on me. Listen, I'm just saying, there's a did you just beat a trash can in the background? Oh <laughs> That's right. There there's still a there's still a uh, a remembrance of, of yeah. the of the cheating scandal. Yeah. I just feel like every time I watch the Rangers, I jinx them. So I'm trying to not – Well, just don't watch. Well, just just I, don't pay attention. Don't watch. I think if I'm going to watch any game, it's going to be tonight. Yeah. But the uh, the celebration that will happen if they do win, I'm yeah. excited about the World Series. And then if Houston ends up going, it's it's another Texas team that's going, yeah. so I'm still good with that too.
1: Well, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I'm grateful that, you know – with all the stuff going around i love sports i know you do too so whether it's the cowboys the rangers i mean just something to celebrate something to have fun with i think it uh it brings it especially as it relates back to marriage i think it brings a level of just joy to families to say hey listen let's root for something let's let's engage in something that maybe is not you know talking about our daily problems it's like listen there's something bigger going on let's let's enjoy that
0: yeah I agree. I'm, I'm rooting for them tonight. Let's, let's hope they, they bring it. Um, we're going to talk about marriage today, but I was going to say about Scott. We met four years ago, and we kind of got to know each other. He was working in the blended family space with his wife, mm-hmm. Vanessa. Uh, I was doing, obviously, exo-marriage. We started we went to the same church, and we kind of had families that were sam- similar ages. We mm-hmm. had a lot of shared interests, mm-hmm. and uh, we've been fairly close over the last yeah. three years. But you live in different camps, so you have a CEO hat you wear, yeah. you have a ministry leader role you wear, and mm-hmm. then you have a counseling practice, which you started, and mm-hmm. you have a, a really special um, practice, because I haven't seen anything like it, where mm-hmm. you have a very fun atmosphere for therapy. Mm-hmm. The therapists that you hire, are the, the, the vetting process for mm-hmm. them is very specific, so mm-hmm. that you have some of the best people out there doing uh, the work that you want to be done. So talk about 7 Therapy here in Colleyville. What was your vision for it? Where is it, where is it going? Yeah. And uh, what's your what's your world look like there?
1: Well, I will tell you, uh, you know, the vision for 7 came about five years ago, way before I was even thinking about, you know, opening a counseling center. I was, like as you said, I, I own another company that's very different, that's uh, healthcare related. So it was something that I was doing full time. But I just started thinking about, you know, what the world needed in terms of counseling, and, and I, I don't say this with, like, whatever's out there is good. I love counselors. I love whatever, whatever atmosphere you're doing it in, I support it 100%, but I thought that there could be a fresh face on counseling, that there could be a difference, and and the reason really is, is, you know, you walk into to see a counselor. First of all, the process, of even finding a counselor, is sometimes very discouraging. It's just, it's tough because, These are individual practitioners. You can't get them on the phone a lot of times. It's just tough, and I don't blame anybody. I mean, the demand for for counseling is very high. But I thought that there could be something different. So basically, the Lord laid it on me and said, hey, Scott, I think you've got the vision to do this. Start looking. So Vanessa and I started talking. We spent about a year looking for the right building. Um, That, even in itself, was a process. We really thought it would be here in Southlake. But the Lord showed us a building, and I will tell you – you know, beyond the practice itself, even getting that building, if I told you the full story, it would give you goosebumps mm. because God really specifically laid our building in Colleyville on us and gave it from one person to us. So we found our building and just basically said, hey, we want to create an environment that's bright, that's beautiful, that's just a little bit more unique in terms of the counseling atmosphere which is exactly what Seven provided. You know, we you walk in, you're greeted. Uh, we have a, a, a variety of therapists that we uh, fully employ. So they're not contract-based. They're fully employed therapists. Uh, they specialize in a lot of different things. We do a lot of marriage counseling. Our greatest population we see are teenagers. Mm-hmm. We know that teenagers are under attack at levels that have never been seen before. So we want to approach that next generation and give them an atmosphere that they really like. So we have a variety of therapists that treat anything from marriage, teenage issues. We have a therapist who specializes in eating disorders and body image issues. Um, So they arrive and we do all of our counseling in these really cool soundproof pods, which are, again, there's nothing like crazy, you know, special about them. They're just unique. And it creates something of a different um, aura about and a different um, persona about, you know, when you're starting to do counseling. So uh, we combine this concept of practical counseling and biblical counseling. We know a lot of people want that spiritual side of healing and and attaching to the ultimate healer. So we provide whatever is necessary for that person. Uh, Obviously from a practical, um, you know, uh, conceptual, we do a lot of behavioral counseling. We do a lot of what we call EMDR, which is specifically related to trauma. Um, But what we have seen is exactly what God wanted to do is we opened about almost two years ago. And it's just been spectacular. Mm. I mean, we we see a lot of patients every single day. The feedback is very positive. I think we see teenagers wanting to come back and come back again. Um, So that's really the goal. Mm -hmm. It was to create an avenue where people could go get help and relieve and remove some of the stigma that's around it.
0: Mm -hmm. Good. I love it. Well, I've been there on site. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful space. You've done a good job with the, the branding, the marketing of it as well. So when you walk in, you know, whenever you walk into any building, you can get a, f- a feeling or a sense mm-hmm. of the quality, the excellence, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And so whenever you're getting uh, a counselor mm-hmm. that you're working with in an environment where you know there's an excellent environment in there, mm-hmm. then you feel better about the quality of help yeah. you are to receive.
1: Well, I'll tell you this too, and just touching on the building, there's not a part of that building that hasn't been saturated in Scripture before we got there. I mean, the original owners of this building saturated in Scripture. Mm. Every wall, every stud has been saturated in Scripture. But The next owner, same thing. Every room has been prayed on. When we got there, same thing. So there is something very special about just the wood uh, of that place. And when people walk in, they instantly feel that.
0: We've got some people from Jacksonville, North Carolina watching. Love it. Hey, Ashley. We have somebody from Burleson, Texas and we have uh some questions coming in before we get to the questions keep keep those coming in the in the queue because i want to ask uh, i want to ask Scott the questions but i want mm-hmm. to be sure that we have uh, everyone gets the opportunity to to jump some um questions in there so you and i went on a journey together and this is a little segment i want to add mm-hmm. to the Live today you and i went on a journey together our families did where mm-hmm. we were looking for a church home kind of at the same time Yep, and church w- tour little church tour yeah and we went through a process, and we landed at Fellowship Church mm-hmm. together. It really was uh, an arrival of, of the Martindales and the Evans at mm-hmm. the Fellowship Church. And so this little, this little uh, uh, segment I want to call is, mm-hmm. How Awesome Are Ed and Lisa Young? <laughs> and uh, do a little bit of yeah. a, a, a brag on yeah. them. Because I feel like before I went to Fellowship, I didn't know much about them mm-hmm. up close. But you and I both mm-hmm. understand how awesome they are yeah. and what a wonderful place fellowship has mm-hmm. been for our families. Mm-hmm. And so just for a brief moment, talk about Ed and Lisa and what, yeah. what that's meant for your family, how they've been mm-hmm. for, for, uh, you guys at the church.
1: Well, I think they're, you know, if you just separate them into individual people, they're both incredible people and they've, they've committed their life in service of the church. And, and, and that is, I think, again, you see them on stage or you hear them talk and you get one idea of it. Number, first thing I would say is they're exactly the same when they're not on stage uh, and they're wonderful. But when when you asked me that question and you said, what was this like? The picture that I get when I think about our church is like a, um, it's like a waterfall. So I think Ed and Lisa do a wonderful job leading the church, but their heart for serving people is just overflows into their staff. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to a lot of churches, and we both know a lot of great senior pastors. They're wonderful people. When I walked into the church and I thought, what do I desire from the church? It wasn't necessarily to have a close personal relationship with the senior pastors. It was, do I feel like I have a church that is serving the community? Mm -hmm. And every single person, every pastor that I've met, and I've met every single one of them, they all seem to be the same. They're just about serving people and about getting into community. And I never I've never seen that before. I've just I've never seen it. I don't know if it I'm sure it happens at other churches. maybe it was just our experience was very unique. but every pastor that I've uh, been around, they are actively pursuing people's hearts and actively putting them in community. And then the other part of this I would say is they actively pursued our children. I mean not passively actively pursued our children Mm -hmm. um and i'm so passionate about the community that the church builds when it comes to equipping that generation Mm -hmm. so all all of my boys have been baptized accepted christ and and it is in large part because of the church Mm -hmm. uh i one of the funny things that i do every sunday when we check them in i don't call it the check-in i call it the trade-in so i trade in my kids uh every time i'm like hey because i know that when they come back they're going to be a little bit more equipped They're going to be a little bit better than when I dropped them off. Um, So, again, we're blessed to have this. I would just encourage, if you're listening, whether you're in North Carolina, Virginia, wherever you are, commit to your local church. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to talk about marriage a lot today, and the first thing I tell people about marriage, parenting, anything, is get into regular attendance in church. You can't fight a battle if you're not equipping yourself, and— I see more, and not. I see more passive Christians. They claim to be Christians, but I ask them where they go to church, and they don't have a church. You can't fight a battle if you don't find a great local church.
0: Yeah, and I think that a lot of people get tripped up on that process because they're part of a church, they don't feel like they're getting any. Because the the past for for Stephanie and I. We didn't feel like in our previous churches that we had that sense of community, mm-hmm. and that's what's so different about fellowship. But sometimes yeah. it's just about finding the church that's right for you. I mean, there's especially here in Dallas, yeah, a plethora. Tons of. Do you know what a plethora is? Uh, there's so a plethora of t- churches in the in the area, so you kind of feel overwhelmed whenever you're going yeah. and you're looking for a church home. And if you haven't found that one yet, just be prayerful about you know where you're supposed to get planted, and make sure that you're not just doing it for the wrong reasons, just mm-hmm. because it's a church denomination that your parents, you know, you know, you grew up in a. Maybe a Baptist home, and so you're looking for a Baptist church. Mm-hmm. The the world has changed dramatically when it comes to denominational mm-hmm. churches. Just go find a church that's going to be there for you when you need them, mm-hmm. and do the right things. And they're they're more about the service. The thing I loved about Ed and Lisa was, and you know, they they were in the in the lobby talking to people. That's what, what I look for. Landry, Give me a
1: senior pastor in the lobby. <laughs>
0: Landra Hughes, which is yeah. their daughter was helping us check in the first day we were yeah. there, and I was just surprised at how. Uh, how integral they were, and not just on stage, mm. but actually as part of the community as well. Yeah. So, we really, really love fellowship. But get, get plugged in if you can to your local church. And uh, there's a lot of great resources whenever you get plugged in because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that, that have giftings and abilities that mm-hmm. you can you can um, uh, use in your time of need. People to yeah. pray for you, people to help you. Uh, but today we have a special uh, session because you are, you typically charge for this kind of information. We're well, going to be. I've got my. Uh,
1: my thing that you can swipe your credit card so we'll well, we'll, we'll do that after the segment
0: all right well uh, yeah (laughs) i left my wallet in in the car uh so we have uh, another viewer from tucson arizona i like tucson especially this time of year yeah beautiful there so we're going to start going through some of these questions i think the first one i saw in here was how do you start an open dialogue with your spouse Mm. okay so
1: let me give some Backstory to this question. So, I'm assuming if you want to have an open dialogue, there's probably issues to be discussed. So, one of the hardest things about having an open conversation, an unguided open conversation, because one part of this would be hey, in counseling, you kind of have a moderator. But if you're trying to sit back and go, hey, I want to have an open conversation about maybe a difficult topic with my spouse. If you do that incorrectly, what you're going to find is it's just a concept of you saying something and them defending it. Mm-hmm. So there's a, this idea of, like, how do we have an open conversation without getting into an argument? I know a lot of men feel this way um, is they don't want to say anything that's wrong because then they don't want to apologize for the way they make them, their spouse feel. Mm-hmm. It's like if I tell you something's wrong and it just upsets you and then I have to go back and apologize for it, then I, I'd, I'd rather just not say anything. So open dialogue needs to be really prefaced by a concept of uh, reassurance and maybe the goal of that. So I'll give you an example. So let's say you want to have a conversation about, I don't know, spending with your spouse. Either one. Husband spends too much on golf. Wife spends too much on Amazon. However you figure it. If you approach the conversation and say, hey, um, you're spending too much money and you need to stop. OK, well, you can see how that's probably not going to go very well um, versus a conversation of, hey, listen, I want to have a conversation about this and just know that I love you and nothing's changing here. We just need to nothing's changing about our love. Uh, I just want us to be on the same page. And I, I'm wondering if we've gotten away from that specifically as it relates to spending. So I'd like to talk about, you know, our spending habits, not yours, not mine. I'd like to talk about ours Um, because I know finances is a big deal for marriages I mean a lot of people argue about finances I see that a lot in my practice but you can see how approaching this and saying hey listen let's talk about our spending habits but before we do that I just want you to know I love you I support you we're on the same team Um, so you're kind of disarming the defensiveness about that and just kind of having an open discussion the other thing I would say is situational don't approach a difficult conversation at the wrong situational time Mm -hmm. so uh, I know for me uh, I would rather have conversations in the evening but Vanessa is not about that if she's ready to go to sleep she doesn't want to have emotional conversations so I have to recognize that hey those conversations need to be done at the right time and not when there's 50 million things going on around us and we're distracted if you can't get into those particular moments and you still find yourself like hey I just can't we can't have a conversation about anything. That's where counseling kind of comes in, mm-hmm. just saying, hey, let's go to a counselor. Not that there's something wrong or that, you know, there's something immediate that has to be fixed, but it's like, hey, we're just having trouble communicating. So let's go find a counselor and approach them with that topic so they can be kind of that moderator. Well, of I also good. think
0: part, part of the, partly the interpretation I have of that question, too, is mm-hmm. – if you're getting one-word answers from your spouse, mm. you know, creating an open dialogue to where you feel like it's a tennis match and you're mm-hmm. hitting the ball over the net mm-hmm. and you're getting something back in return that you can actually use. And we use that a lot. It's something I do about our communication is, you know, sometimes whenever you're having a conversation with somebody, it's so frustrating yeah. whenever you're getting nothing in return. Yeah. And the open dialogue is how do you create it? And you said it, a lot of that. How do you create an atmosphere where we can just start talking? Yeah. Having a conversation where it doesn't just end up, you feeling like mm. I'm trying to get mm. information out of your head mm-hmm. that you're not willing to give mm-hmm. and then I'm just sort of ser- sitting here left wondering what are you thinking, what mm-hmm. are you feeling because you're not there's not that openness in, in communication yeah. and I would say you know just uh, giving you a little bit of a of a teed up mm-hmm. ball here um, you know with an intimacy requires an atmosphere mm-hmm. where there's there's open communication yeah so how do how do couples really include that atmosphere on a daily basis so that there are opportunities for intimacy because men i found i find myself like chatty kathy after sex or you know whenever we're on well, w- your walk yeah yeah and you and you kind of and not that you use sex for you know those sorts of things but i mean ladies guys they're not they're yeah. okay with that. Yeah. You can use you can you can give sex if you want conversations. Uh, that's not really legitimate advice. I'm not an LPC. I'm just telling <laughs> you from, from a male perspective. No, but you do find that men are open to conversations in, in various times. So yeah. if we're going on a walk or we're hanging out, like watching the Ranger game, you know, you, you have opportunities where you're side by side. You know, those conversations a lot of times with men happen shoulder to shoulder yeah. rather than face to face. Um, but also the, the sexual atmosphere. Sometimes when a man feels you know, open, mm-hmm. it's, it's in vulnerable times right after sex. So creating open dialogue and finding opportunities where you can share and feel like you're getting to know your spouse, mm-hmm. just encourage like on a daily basis. How can that look for couples?
1: Well, y- you touched it very specifically. Um, you know, in men and women, we, we know God made us different, and that's okay uh, as long as we understand it. So when you talk about intimacy, I think men automatically associate that with physical intimacy. I understand it's the way way our brains are wired. I get it. There are other forms of intimacy that really channel into your wife and what she desires and what she needs. So when we talk about intimacy, we're talking about emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, financial intimacy, and then physical intimacy. And what you're trying to do is really establish the perfect time to have the right level of connection. So here's a good example. So you said, Hey, we're just not finding the right time to have these conversations because it's like a ping pong match. I'm getting one word, two words. Well, ask yourself, what's the context of your conversation? Was there any prep work that was done for this? Was it prepared in any way? And you're like, well, you know, does it have to be? No, but I would ask you, how busy is your life? How much are your kids demanding of your time? You're telling me with all of these things going on that you can devote, the right type of energy to the connection with your spouse? Probably not. So like Vanessa and I talk about, every week we have kind of that marriage meeting, business meeting kind of thing. So we talk about this in our book, Blended and Redeemed. Uh, it's great marriage advice. So we just set aside a couple of hours. Usually it's on Sunday night after the kids go to sleep. We, we, we put our kids to sleep early. By the way, if you have little kids, don't ever feel bad about it, like, hey, it's six o'clock, go to bed. That's okay. They'll go to sleep and you can have time. You've got to create that time. So our meetings are, hey, let's talk about business. That's really the schedules. That's just kind of going through the logistics, making sure that her and I are on the same page. And then we have a marriage meeting where it's like, hey, let's talk about issues that are going on with our marriage. Maybe it's something serious. Maybe it's something not. Uh, But what that really does is it opens our marriage up to fulfilling her need for intimacy on all different levels and also physical intimacy. Make sure that we're connected. Um, God created us to connect. He just gave us different avenues to connect. Not that physical intimacy is not important to our wives, because it is. It's how they connected us, and it's how we connect with them. But you're right in saying that after intimacy has been fulfilled, you're going to find that your conversations are very different. They're very much in line with let me support you instead of let me compete with you or argue with you.
0: Mm -hmm. In conversations that typically end up in an argument so you have a dialogue Mm -hmm. that starts off with you know hey how was your day Mm. hey did you happen to go by the store on your way home Mm. i told you that i texted Mm. you i need you i need you to do that well Mm. i forgot and then you end up getting into this critical Mm. nature of conversation where you know you you always Mm -hmm. forget or you never do this Mm -hmm. and whenever a, a husband or a wife is communicating to their spouse their other their the other half how can they remove the barbs from conversation mm-hmm. up front and and really there 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 are some things that you just can't even talk about with in, in a in a mm-hmm. toxic relationship without it leading to mm-hmm. you know hitting the, the nuclear button? But in daily life, whenever you have to have a lot of conversations about mm-hmm. kids, work, finances, whatever it is, how do you start the conversation off with the ability to say, listen, I am absolutely one hundred percent Coming I mean, with my hands up. There's nothing, mm-hmm. I'm not hiding a knife. I'm mm-hmm. not hiding any weapons. I just want to have a conversation about X, Y, yeah. and Z. Um, I love you. How, how do you really practically start a dialogue mm-hmm. without, in, in, a, in a healthy way, without mm-hmm. it feeling like manipulation or um, mm-hmm. tripping, tripping the other person up already yeah. by thinking, oh, what are you up to? What do you want?
1: Yeah. So I'll tell you what not to do. Uh, number one is don't have conversations via text with your spouse so i, I this important is a hot ones. button, the important ones, yeah, I, I will say this in and, and, and this is I kind of thing kind of universal, like Vanessa and I, when we text each other, it is nothing it's, there's no conversation going on it's like it's like uh we're we're, we're just blocking and tackling, so it's like hey, check box, checkbox It's very, very minimal, and it, they're very short. The reason is is, I think so many people have gotten into this you know relationship with their phone and it extends to their spouse. So we're going to have these important conversations via text. So I'm going to lay out all my thoughts via text, and I'm just going to give it to them. So, again, that's probably a very toxic way to settle important things. But the next thing I would say is this, is if you find yourself in in these normal conversations and everything is getting escalated based upon whether you went to the store or you didn't, you know, that's kind of a minor thing. But we see this a lot in When little things continue to pop up, it is the absolute, it's like the check engine light of there's bigger things missing in your marriage. Mm -hmm. You're not, you know, you're not looking at the the levels of intimacy the way you should. You're not fulfilling each other's, um, you know, love language. There are so many bigger things that are going on. Um, Like I'll give you an example. So I I counsel couples every single day, and they always come into me with, you know, XYZ problem. They say, hey, I've got, this is going on in our marriage, and I don't know how to figure it out. Like, I use an assessment tool called Prepare and Enrich. It's a great tool. It's widely accepted. And basically what it is is a blood test for your marriage. It it analyzes, you know, 10 different areas of your marriage, your satisfaction, your level of disagreement, every one of those. What's surprising to me is the problem will manifest in every one of those areas where it's communication, uh, intimacy, uh, family, uh, parenting, all these different that problem tends to manifest in different areas and it's usually because of a larger problem underneath. Yeah. So if you're having these issues and you're saying, "Hey, we can't have a conversation." Well, it's like saying, "I can't go out and run a marathon." Well, that's because, you know, I don't train for it and I'm not built to do it because there's an underlying issue with me physically that prevents me from doing that. So, I think enough marriages you can you can put your marriage on cruise control really easily it's it's almost scary how easy it is to put your marriage on cruise control and then you're going to find when your kids are gone
0: what happens mm-hmm. so yeah intentionality is is one of the things that i find it goes away once you get married you're in very very intentional before you got married about to everything close the deal yeah yeah and, and then afterwards you just start finding yourself becoming very unintentional about the things that you're doing related to the romance and and working on communication, there are communication habits that you can instill in your relationship that will 100% bring life to your marriage. Mm. And then there are habits that you can create Mm. in your marriage, communication-wise, that will 100% devastate the communication lines Mm. over and over again to the point where you can't even say something about Mm you know, the electric bill without it turning into mm-hmm. a full-on mm-hmm. fist fight. Have you seen the slap contest, by the way? The I
1: have. Slap? I, it bothers me to watch them, though. Like I, every time too. I see them, I'm like, I scan away from them because it just, the whole concept just bothers me. It,
0: I think it bothers me because people voluntarily do this stuff yeah. and they, they try to get better at it. And I'm not sure, I understand the whole the whole masculine thing of, and women do it, too. Women so do can, it. I can't yeah. even say it's masculine. But I can, I can see the sense of like my jaw can take a slap more than yours to some degree if yeah. you're drunk in a bar. Yeah. Like you're, it's like a bet, right? Yeah. But people are doing this on stage uh, for, I guess, there's a title and money involved, but you, you can't pay get me. You win enough. 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> How can you get slapped? Enough, and that has got to hurt. Yeah. Uh, this guy, this one guy, I just saw, I don't know, whatever's in my algorithm on Instagram. Yeah. It's a lot of that stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of cars, uh, a lot of crashes and stuff, mm-hmm. and then a lot of uh, just weird fights. But that this one guy just got smacked, and he he didn't last two seconds on his feet. Well, you know, you just brought something up here, and I just want to draw
1: this parallel: the algorithm on your Instagram, the algorithm on my Instagram. You know what is the algorithm of your marriage? Mm. You think about this, because. I'm not a tech What's coming guy up in your
0: feed. Is that what you're saying? Yeah.
1: I'm not a tech guy, but I'm going to, I'm going to go into the assumption that when I pull a video up, if I watch it for more than like three seconds, four seconds, five seconds, that Instagram knows that, oh gosh, that, that interested them. So let me show them again. Let me show them again. And there you go with your complete dopamine release, because all your phone is feeding you is stuff that you like. Mm-hmm. So think about that from your marriage perspective, you know, what is the algorithm of your marriage? I mean, are you consistently feeding positivity or are you consistently just showing your spouse that you're ready to argue at any given time? I mean, we're human, so we're trained by condition. We're going to do what we're conditioned to do, whether by response or by feedback or by whatever means. So I think that it kind of nails down what I see in terms of marriage. It's, it's a consistent issue over time, which is why they go to counseling. It's like, give us new habits that are
0: different in the algorithm. Mm-hmm. It's great. Look at you. I know. It's just your weird. Little, little algorithm speech yeah. there. I think it's good. Uh, another question coming in. So what is the right attitude? This is from Carlos. What is, what is the right attitude for me when my spouse is unwilling to work on the marriage and is asking for divorce? Mm. She says she can't heal with me and gave me too many opportunities. It's a great mm-hmm. question. Very common.
1: Yeah, Carlos, I'm with you uh, in terms of just understanding that situation. Um, so the number of couples that I've seen that walk into see me that I ask them or I wonder is if this is just the last checkbox. Like you're checked out. And this is just the checkbox that you can explain to your children later on, like, oh, we tried counseling and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Counseling works if there are two willing parties who are willing to work on their marriage. And my general, what I tell couples in those instances, because for whatever reason, they showed up to counseling. So if you can get your spouse just to even show up for counseling, it's almost like... um, you know, uh, a near dead person going to the hospital, like at least they're there. And I give them credit for being there. Um, Then we have to look at what's possible in terms of how, how much can you get better over sessions or over time. So we don't look for the entire healing to happen in one session. We don't, I don't set that as an expectation. Uh, I tell them, hey, listen, there are there are things that we can do to make your marriage better. I always tell people this too, and, and maybe I'm a weird th- marriage therapist for saying this. I believe God created marriage, but I don't believe that anything we do as humans prepares us for marriage mm-hmm. because we're, we're taught to be selfish from day one. We're taught to take care of ourselves from day one. Never throughout my entire life did anybody say, hey, let me teach you how to be married because that would have been a great thing to learn. Because when Vanessa and I got married, there were things that I didn't know. So I'm grateful for for resources and ministries and all things that XO produces, but most people are not tuned into it. So I tell people that not to discourage them, but to put air back in the room. To say, hey, listen, if you're frustrated with your marriage, but you're still here, then there's hope. Mm -hmm. Because... I can help you, and we can together work through a process where we learn about marriage. We learn how to do it in a way that you're going to enjoy it, that will honor God, that will be a great thing for you if you learn to do it and then learn to put it in practice. Um, I also tell them this, too, is marriage is one of the most attacked concepts today. Mm -hmm. By the enemy, it's attacked. So people who are going into marriage counseling, I tell them, hey, especially Christians who are doing this, because we see just, just as many Christians that their marriage is falling apart. I tell them, guys, you have to realize you're fighting a real enemy who absolutely is just about to celebrate the fact that your marriage is destroyed. He is celebrating the concept that you have given up. And he is just kind of wincing at the concept that you are here in counseling with the slight hope that it will work. So if you start recognizing that you fight a real enemy and you'll stop stop fighting your spouse and start fighting for each other, it's very different. So I just tell couples that, again, just to put air in the room, to give them some type of hope of saying, hey, listen, let me just come back for one more session. Or I tell them, you know, hey, listen, if it's really that bad, you know, XO does a great program on EXO mediation, which I am a huge fan of, even beyond and maybe even before counseling. Say, hey, go to mediation for a couple of days and then come back and see me.
0: Hmm. That's good. I um, This next question, I, I, I'm processing how to ask it. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, because I think it speaks to a couple of things that that's probably very common in, in relationships where, there's one spouse that's probably trying to be a little bit more um, uh, on the ball with with responsibilities, mm-hmm. and one one is probably feeling you know like they work all day and they come home and they just want to want to chill out. Uh, so Omega asked the question, What if your husband drinks a case of beer a day and he's also a narcissist? Mm. Um, you know that's that's a layered question. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that just just to kind of give you time to process it, um, narcissism is a is a very can be clinically diagnosed, right? So mm-hmm. you can throw the word narcissism around, and, and you need to be sure that you know that's that's what you're dealing with. If you really are dealing mm-hmm. with a narcissist, then there's you know very much a path for therapy that you need to probably follow. But if he's just somebody who's selfish and uh, doesn't really care about your needs and is really focused more on his needs, what I've found when guys are drinking a case of beer a day mm-hmm. is they're trying to they're trying to drown their misery. And mm-hmm. they want to um, th- they want to escape through mm-hmm. through that means case of beer day is a lot of that 's a lot of beer and yeah. you know that that speaks mm-hmm. to either a, a high tolerance or a an alcoholic who who can 't mm-hmm. stop or just somebody who wants to get out of the yeah. uh, out of the daily grind my my personal two cents on the on the beer side is um if you shame or You know, Mm -hmm. go go in with the the nagging spirit of you know, don't drink. You know, drink too much. Those -hmm. sorts of things. Uh, That, in my mind, doesn't work. It's not as effective as Mm -hmm. encouraging your husband to look at things a different Mm -hmm. way. Like what what could we do together, or better, Mm -hmm. if you weren't drinking a case of beer a day? Or would Mm -hmm. you mind? You know, just going to, to six or going to three yeah. and can we have a conversation about that and mm-hmm. not because i want you to do it because yeah you, you shouldn't enjoy it but because our life would be better mm-hmm. if that was in check and do you have friends around you is, are there relationships mm-hmm. around you that are getting yeah. you to a better place or are you finding yourself in friend groups that are, are encouraging that kind of behavior yeah so there's a lot to that question um
1: go a couple things here um and just a little bit of backstory um my parents uh eventually found the lord and and were served their church and god for the vast majority of their marriage but i i grew up with my mother was a uh, an alcoholic and so i i'm familiar with this concept i don't do a lot of drug and alcohol counseling that's not really my specialty um but i will say it just for fact somebody drinks a case of beer a day they're an alcoholic mm-hmm there's no question about it. Mm-hmm. That alcoholism is a, is a disease that absolutely comes
0: with nothing but trauma and pain. Be- beer is actually the number one drink of choice for alcoholics. Sure, 100%. So if you're dealing with an alcoholic who
1: has no concept of wanting to be healed, and, and I would also say, and it wasn't in this question, but generally with alcoholism comes abuse. Mm-hmm. So I want to be really clear about what I don't tolerate in marriage is abuse, whether that is emotional or physical. If you're in that situation, I, I highly recommend finding a safe place for you and your kids to, to remove that. Um, but alcoholism, as much as I know, and I, don't, I, don't, I do not want to speak as the expert because that's just not my thing, but I will tell you from what I do know is alcoholics have to want to get better and they have to want to change. Um, you're like, right, you're nagging your spouse, or, you know, even placating to it is not going to help them. Um, I think narcissism is probably a side effect of alcoholism, uh, in the sense that it's just about you, or it's just about the next time that you can get drunk, and and that's all you care about. Um, And so that's a disease, and it has to be cured. So, Beyond the concept of if you're, if you're not safe, then you have to remove yourself to be safe. Um, but alcoholics have to want to go get help, and they need the severe treatment to get them there. And that's really the only, um, it's the only way that changes. So my suggestion for a spouse in that situation is, number one, to pray for them, um, to be in diligent prayer for your spouse. And number two is telling them, this is where you need to go to get help because this is not the marriage that is going to be fulfilling to either one of us uh, if you don't do this.
0: What about intervention?
1: I think intervention is good if you have the right people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think interventions can be good maybe with their parents or their siblings if they support what you're doing. You know, we're, t- we're on live and we're in South Lake, Texas. People are listening to this. This person could be anywhere. And cultures are very different Um depending on where you are in the country, where you, you, know, what your background is. I mean, cultures are very different. So they view alcohol in different ways. So if you have a support system that can do an intervention, great. I highly suggest it. Um, beyond that, I would just encourage safety. I want to make sure that that, you know, if it's unsafe, that
0: you make sure that you withdraw from that situation to be safe. Mm-hmm. That's good. And on the narcissism side, you know, that's a very common use word these mm-hmm. days related to, People who are frustrated with a spouse or an individual mm-hmm. who is just always about them. Yeah, right? it just always comes back to them. All, yeah. all, all the, all the pain that they're causing is because of something that you yeah. know is, was done to them. Mm-hmm. And so there was always an excuse, or there's always a, mm-hmm. a, a, an adherence back to their world, their life. Everything kind of mm-hmm. surrounds them. The, the earth is mm-hmm. uh, re- revolving around them. And how do you have conversations with people who are in that moment?
1: Yeah, well, narcissism comes straight. You also have gaslighting that'll happen because of it. I think the the idea. Um, so, I'll give you a couple of, uh, I'll give you at least one resource. So, we have a, a really good friend uh, named Dr. Les Carter. Uh, if you've never heard of him or if you've never seen his, he is a uh, authority on narcissism and speaks and writes and podcasts. So, if you're dealing with a narcissistic spouse, I'd encourage you to go watch Dr. Les Carter's information, um, and that will give you a lot. My exposure to it is number one is is not playing into it, not getting you know into this world where you feel like you have to uh, overly assert yourself as uh, living in reality <laughs> um, because you're not going to win that argument. Uh, a narcissist will never back down from that. And number two is staying true to who you are and not letting them them be then make you subservient to what their thoughts are Mm -hmm. because again that's not the dynamic of a healthy marriage it's not the dynamic that god created in marriage narcissism has no place in marriage um and know that that's not your fault that 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 person's that way you know they have they're dealing with things that have created that environment for them narcissism is almost like a it's like a safety net that you provide around yourself it's like, listen, I want to justify every behavior that I have, so I'm just going to make it not my fault, mm-hmm. and I'm going to make it everybody else's fault. So I always talk about this in, in terms of conflict resolution, but one of the most dangerous styles of conflict resolution that narcissists really like, they just, that's their thing, is it's not that they want to win in intensity. They want to win, and
0: just as intensely as they want to win, they want you to lose. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and I don't want to—I don't want to discourage anybody out there, but yeah. from what I've found and research and talking to people, there's no cure for narcissism. That mm-hmm. there's no cure for it. Like, there's, there's, there's God, obviously. There's yeah. miracles that can happen, yeah. but typically, when you're talking to somebody that's a narcissist, there's zero chance of you ever being able to get through to them to understand that yeah. they're the problem.
1: They have to want. They have to want. They have to want to serve their spouse, and they have to want to get better.
0: But that's that's almost an impossible task for somebody who's challenged. Yeah. was seeing beyond their own world so the yeah. the, the sun rises and yeah. sets with their problems their needs whoever they are and they're going to do everything they can to make sure mm. like you said if if anybody's going to win it's going to be them yeah and
1: well i think you're right in the sense of saying hey you, you're looking at a, a situation that just as humans you're like there's no way this is reality but to a narcissist that is their reality. And to get them to move from away from narcissism is very difficult. And I, I would be somewhat hopeful that with the right therapy and with the right situation that they could get better. Um If they're willing, yes. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I the term itself kind of bothers me because it's used very loosely. It is. So just because, you know, your spouse may do a couple of things, you're like, they're not considering my feelings. They must be a narcissist. Let's let's not let's not throw labels too heavily. And I think one of the things I'm real sensitive in mental health is people who people who label, whether that's an unqualified person labeling them or them labeling themselves, uh, and then they just carry that label forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't think of the number of times I've counseled somebody and they're
0: like, "Well, I'm bipolar," and I'm like, "Well, who diagnosed you that?" Hey, whoever's controlling the the big board over there. Let's throw up the definition of narcissism. I'm trying to use this LED wall way more. Oh, that right here. It's That's it's super harder. Cool. It's harder for me to kind of sometimes think through the, the lens of pulling yeah. something up. But let's uh, let's pull up right the there. clinical definition of narcissism because I really want to solve this problem. It is overused. So uh, the
1: narcissistic personality disorder is the probably yeah. the one that we want to look at. Them.
0: Personality disorder, and I want to yeah. you know bi- the the word bipolar is also used a lot. You know, to say mm-hmm. if you're if you're kind of frustrated with somebody, you just call them bipolar or narcissistic. Mm. But the so, this is the overview. A narcissistic personality disorder is a mental health condition in which people have an unreasonably high sense of their own importance, mm. they need and seek too much attention and want people to admire them. People with this disorder may lack the ability to understand or care about the feelings of others, but behind this mask of extreme confidence, they are not sure of their self worth and are easily upset by the slightest criticism. Mm. A narcissistic personality disorder causes problems in many areas of life, such as relationships, work school, or financial matters. People with this personality disorder may be generally unhappy and disappointed when they're not given the special favors or admiration that they believe they deserve. They may find their relationships troubled and unfulfilling, and other people may not enjoy being around them. Treatment for narcissistic personality disorder centers around talk therapy, Mm -hmm. also called psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. Narcissistic personality disorder affects more males than females, and it often begins in the teens and early adulthood. Some children may show signs or traits of narcissism this is often typical for their age and doesn't mean they're going to develop that personality disorder. Yeah, uh, interesting. Well, I am. I'm just saying, like the the uh, idea of someone being nar- narcissistic can def- definitely be there. Yeah. But I feel like if you're going to use that word, you need to make sure that there's a qualification of that word. But I will say, you're talking about abuse earlier. Mm-hmm. People with that personality disorder mm-hmm. are some of the most abusive people I've ever seen. Hundred percent mentally, emotionally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the, the idea that you feel you feel trapped when you're around a person that's all yeah. about themselves. And, you know, it does stem into other areas. Yeah. So work and school or whatever it is. Yeah. But when you're married to that person, mm-hmm. it is torture.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, again, without being an expert on this and I, I, I see it in a lot of areas of my marriage counseling. So I would say it this way. I think people have narcissistic tendencies that get labeled pretty quick Um, in the best case scenarios. And this is what I I try to take in terms of, you know, what I can do in terms of counseling is I think people get deficient. And so they hang on to anything that makes them feel good. And then they require their spouse focus on those. Mm -hmm. So really it's a deficiency in a lot of areas of their, of their marriage. But what they're looking at is saying, Hey, I'm not getting, what I need. And, and I don't say that in a bad way. Let me say it this way. I'm not talking about it in a narcissistic way, but they're individually, they're saying, I'm not getting what I need from my spouse. Like my bucket is empty and I don't get any, whether that's, you know, you talk about your love language, you talk about, you know, marriage being, uh, you know, it's a hundred percent on both sides. It's not, it's not, you've got to pour into your marriage. So because they're so deficient, they become very isolated on requiring specific things. So if you think about it like this, like maybe you have a marriage that's completely dry, but you're hyper vigilant of your kids and them showing you respect. So you're just dying for that respect. Or you translate that to your office and you're saying, I will require a hundred percent respect. And that's where I'll get fed. So in those situations, we look at it from a marriage counseling perspective and saying, Hey, listen, you're saying that there's there's too much on this side and he or she is not caring about your feelings so let's go back to the well and say is this pure narcissistic are you really narcissistic or are you so deficient that that's what it's that's what's showing up mm-hmm. and can we go back to the well and say okay guys let's so let's learn how we serve each other and let's see if those things don't dissipate
0: over time of us working on that mm-hmm. uh, yeah so i just want to resolve this question because it was a great question it was kind like was very layered mm-hmm. if you are if you suspect your husband is an alcoholic and a narcissist mm-hmm. then you really need to be in a in a situation where you can receive therapy yourself mm-hmm. and learn how to navigate that that's a very yeah. dangerous situation and you know i've i i have because sometimes when you hear one side you know he's he's being labeled as an alcoholic narcissism narcissist not that he mm-hmm. isn't i'm not saying i'm not the one to qualify that but allow somebody else to speak into his life and qualify yeah. that as well don't just don't just Put that label on him. Yeah, you know, bring somebody to the to the table that can actually help in this situation. Mm. My suggestion: it's a mutual friend, a pastor, mm. somebody, or a, a, if you guys can agree upon a therapist, get in your mm. uh, get in your prayer closet as well. But God can do anything. But if you're going to find help, you're going to get you're going to need to get um, with somebody who can help. Well, there are also support
1: groups. There, there are specific support groups for spouses of alcoholics. Like uh, I think it's called Al-Anon or I think that's what it is, Al-Anon. So there are Al-Anon groups all over the country that are support groups for those spouses. Yeah. So find one of those groups that say, hey, let me let me, let me me plug into a resource here that's at least in my, you know, the problem.
0: Yeah, that's good. Okay, um, because our Deer Rangers need to go to the World Series after tonight, they're going to have to hit a few curveballs. Yeah. Well, I'm going to throw you a curveball here. <laughs> As we're getting late, we're almost done here. Uh, just relax. You know what? Yeah. Everyone, just relax. We're yeah. almost done here, okay? Yeah. We got some questions, though. I do, uh, yeah. I do have a question that I think is important because okay. I feel like this is something that if, if you have navigated an affair and you're on the road for recovery with your relationship, the question is from Yeshira. Mm-hmm. How do you go about rebuilding or talking about a better vision for the future of the marriage after it's been two years of recovery from a spouse's affair? I think this is a very important question, and one where I feel like mm-hmm. you know you would you would obviously be able to speak into the practicality mm-hmm. of rebuilding after an affair. So,
1: if I'm understanding the question, it's been a couple of years since the affair. I'm going to assume it was a physical affair because uh, you know uh, there's different levels. I, I assu- I'm going to assume it's a physical affair. It's been two years, and, and that, and that two-year recovery has been um, has been good. So those are the assumptions that I'm going to make, and then you may find yourself kind of in this space where you're like, okay, we kind of survived the war, and but what? How do we how do we plan for the future? And, and it's almost like this, you know, it's like you. um It's like you built a bridge and then you watched it collapse and then all of a sudden you've built the schematics to build another bridge and kind of the framework's done. You're like, okay, I feel like this bridge is going to make it, but at the end of the day, it's already collapsed once. So how do I plan to be on the other side of the bridge? Mm -hmm. Um, I think, one, if I was counseling a couple in this area, is one, I would say, okay, first of all, are you resourcing yourself? throughout this process. So it's not just a a two-year and we're on our own. Um, Marriage is a continuous process of learning and building and rebuilding and learning and then building it better and then maybe tearing it down a little bit and then building it back up again. There's a consistent process with that. And the other thing I would say, and and then I'll get into some practicalities, is is you, you don't ever look at a marriage that's gone 50, 60 years and assume that they haven't gone through traumatic events where mm-hmm. they've had to rebuild trust um, or they've had to rebuild, you know, uh, intimacy in their relationship or they've had to rebuild different pieces of that. Um, I think affairs are extraordinarily traumatic to marriages. So are death of children. So are. So is infertility. Infer- Fertility. Infertility. Yeah. So is a lot of things. So one, no circumstance is unsurmountable or unrecoverable if you desire. Um, and this is where I always look at, you know, when we talk about the acts of forgiveness and we start learning about forgiveness, um, it's a daily practice that you have to practice. So those people who are in that fight is number one, resource yourself continuously. Number two, dream the dream, make the plans, if you want your marriage to last 50 years and you want to get over traumatic events, at a certain point, you've got to start playing the playing the long game again. It's like, listen, I understand that mistakes happen. I'm going to consistently be in prayer and, and opening my heart to forgiveness. And then if you're the person who had the affair, making sure that you're practically resourcing yourself and putting the firewalls in place, that you're starting to rebuild trust. You're starting to put the put the framework in place to say, hey, you know, we don't have secrets anymore. We don't have password protection anymore. We don't have, you know, uh, we, we talk a lot, we talk a lot about this in our, Vanessa and I, when it comes to marriages, we have no, um, we, we make no apologies for the, for the borders around our marriage to other people. Make no apologies for it. And then we talk about different practical things, which is, you know, when it comes to text messaging or social media and, and just putting framework around the protection of our marriage. So, I always tell couples, like, don't come to me and tell me that you're concerned with your spouse if you're not willing to put protections around your marriage. Mm -hmm. Nobody will protect it the way you're supposed to protect it. And people don't respect those boundaries very much. So you have to put them around yourself. So as long as you're doing those things and you're being mindful of it, I want to just give you hope that it's possible. Um, I'd give you hope that it's probable that you will eventually run into a place where that becomes a distant memory. It'll become part of your story. It can become part of your testimony. Um, but the future can be very, very bright, and it can be very joyful. Um, you know, I always think about this when it comes to, you know, talking about the biblical side is, you know, God's forgiveness of me is so much more than I can ever imagine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, what he has done for me and what he what He will do for me tomorrow is so much more than I could ever imagine or con- conceive uh, if I can just get a little piece of that and give it to my spouse, um, I just don't think anything in terms of future can't be just extremely bright.
0: Yeah, well, not talking about it from the clinical side because that's that's your expertise. I' yeah. are just talking about it from the practical side of being with Exo for eighteen years and yeah. working with different couples and having opportunities to, to to have conversations with people who've walked through those those mm-hmm. trials and tribulations of of marriage. You know, Jeff and Liz Jones are one of those couples that. They were on the program Marriage Today a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I have a really close relationship with them, and um, the, the Jeff he talks about this openly. You know he he had an affair, mm-hmm. and it devastated their marriage. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was Marriage on the Rock. Somebody handed them the book Marriage on the Rock that got them back on track mm-hmm. for their relationship. But one of the things I r- really learned was was that you know they both had different responsibilities mm-hmm. after the affair. Yeah, because the the person who commits the affair, and this was a physical one, uh, according to, uh, Yeshira, you know, the one who c- commits the, the, the affair uh, has the, uh, you know, the adultery, mm-hmm. they've got a different responsibility afterwards. Mm-hmm. They've just completely eroded all the trust mm-hmm. in the marriage. So their responsibility is to be ex- mm-hmm. extremely transparent and open and mm-hmm. willing to participate and be a part of the process of rebuilding. Mm-hmm. If the other spouse, uh, spouse is willing to do that, mm-hmm. which is not always, not always a guarantee. Yeah. You know, and, you know, the, not that the door should always be kicked open for yeah. divorce whenever adultery happens, because really, what you just said was brilliant. You know, we all mess up from time to time. There is a qualification for biblical, you know, divorce mm-hmm. for affairs, but w- why, why, why allow the devil to take a mistake and, and turn it into that? I understand it's very difficult, but for the person who's been wronged in situation, mm-hmm. ha- the situation uh, had didn't have the affair, but was was violated. They have a responsibility now. Once this person's repentant, mm-hmm. and once they've you know committed to doing the right mm-hmm. thing, that their their responsibility is to be a part of the process of yeah. rebuilding that trust as much as they possibly can, mm-hmm. and go on a journey together to where yeah. they can create that intimacy again. Now, yeah. that's the hardest part is creating intimacy again. Yeah. It can happen. In fact, the people that I've talked to that have gone through their two years in mm-hmm. um, can actually have a have a marriage that's more intimate down the road. Mm-hmm than before sure fair, and that sounds crazy, but Possible. I've talked to enough people where that's that's the case because at some point you realize that you're both just broken people, yeah, and the affair was caused by some reason not not every affair is just a drunk one night stand on a mm-hmm. ro- road trip somewhere yeah. right typically there's a uh, continuation of a habit or yep. there was not a not a need being met or something was happening. That you realize you both have responsibilities in, in your your world, not that there was ever justification for mm-hmm. it, but that there's op- op- obviously a, a time where yeah. things can happen. So you both take responsibilities, and you're both you're both realigned to Christ. Mm-hmm. The, the, the challenge for the person who had the affair is they want their other spouse to get there quickly. Mm-hmm. Like why can't we be back to yeah. normal? And you have to give them time yeah. to get to get back on back on track. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be seasons where they are just still dealing with it. Yeah. You can forgive, but, but forgetting is very hard. So yeah. There'll be touchy times where you just have, you just need a moment. Yeah. You need to call a timeout and just say, you know, I, I really, I'm really having a hard time today, but go back, go continue to go back to the table. Yeah. And have conversations and be open and transparent. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're, if you're walking with the right information, the right people around you. Yeah. You can definitely have a stronger marriage than before.
1: I think anything is possible. And I think God can do miraculous things when it comes to healing. Um, I think as a culture, we tend to put God in this small box and we forget how big he is and what he does and what he can do and what he can change. And uh, we just, we don't give him enough credit to be able to address our situation. So um, I think there's a lot of practical things. And I don't want to miss this. I highly suggest them. But I think the spiritual side is so much bigger when it comes to the fact that, We are all going to fall short of the glory of Christ. Mm -hmm. And how that looks and what that looks like is different for every individual. But God's grace is sufficient, and he teaches us about forgiveness, and he teaches us how to do this in a way that is going to be better than we could ever imagine. So to your point, I have seen couples come through and come out stronger than they've ever been before. And I've seen other couples who have just said no. So my encouragement is is keep going. Keep resourcing yourself.
0: It's mm, good. Okay, well, if I go any longer, then I'm going to have to pay for another hour of Scott's time. It,
1: it is really right. getting close well, here. He also yeah. has an
0: out. I hope this has been helpful for everyone out there. Thank you so much, EXO uh, Marriage Community. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. If you're on the YouTube channel, make sure you hit the. I'm going to use the YouTube language. Smash that like button. Subscribe mm-hmm. to the channel for more updates. Uh, mm-hmm. I know you're going to be blessed by what you're seeing here. Also, share this video. So if you have people in your life that need marriage advice. This has been a great uh, talk today about all things marriage. Mm-hmm. There may be some things in here that they can take away. It's an easy, easy way to get the information to people you love. Just just share the link to it. It's a free resource. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here at XO. Uh, again, I'm Brent Evans. I'm the CEO of XO Marriage, and we're excited to bring you marriage content in any way, shape, or form we can through any medium necessary to make your marriage better. So pre-marriage, through the, through the life cycle of marriage, and then if you ever get into a place where you need help, we have a mediation team here that will help you get back on track. So these are one- and two-day intensive mediation se- sessions where our, we have a specific certification program mm-hmm. all these mediators go through to help you in your relationship. So if you find that you're in a place where you need help, do not, do not, do not wait. Get in touch with us. You can go to exomarriage.com, check out the help page, and you can find our mediation uh, program there. Get plugged in. We do 60-minute 60, 60 and 90-minute like pre-sessions where you can find uh, a mediator and just ask some questions, to get mm-hmm. some more information as well. And I hope you, I hope you find that resource uh, of great value to you. If not now, maybe down the road, or maybe there's something in your life that needs marriage help right now. That's what we're here for. So not just the, the daily content, but also for, for the, uh, the extreme situations that you mm-hmm. might find yourself in, we're here to help. Hey, I want you to check out Scott Martindale's uh, Seven therapies in mm-hmm. Colleyville, Texas web address.
1: You can go to 7therapy.com. Uh, we treat in person here in the DFW area. Or if you live in Texas, we can do teletherapy anywhere in the state of Texas. And I'm super so. proud of
0: the book that him and Vanessa did together. It's called uh, Blended and Redeemed. Yeah. And this is their story, but it's also a very practical guide to blended family relationships. They are experts in the space. This is a beautiful book. It's got uh, very pretty lettering. It's a nice gift book <laughs> for people in your life who may have a blended family. And that's a very important topic. Uh, love you guys thanks so much for being a part of it thanks again Scott for love being here appreciate it and all the wisdom take care we'll see you next time